0: Hello, and welcome to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast. Every week, Talking Heads will bring you in-depth insights and analysis through the lens of sustainability on the topics that really matter to investors. In this episode, we'll be discussing European equities. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined by Steve Sherman, Senior Portfolio Manager in European Equities. Welcome, Steve, and thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here.
0: Steve, if we think about the performance of European equities over the last year, I'd argue it was one of the biggest surprises, particularly if you recall how negative sentiment was back in beginning of 2022 with the invasion uh, of Ukraine. Of course, a big disruption uh, in Europe. From the market's perspective, the biggest worry was the increase in energy prices. And as we looked for historical parallels, we thought back to the OPEC shocks in the 70s and then looked at what happened to economic growth uh, and inflation at the time. And needless to say, it wasn't a particularly pretty picture. Uh, and the worries were that you would have blackouts in the winter in Europe, probably a recession, stagflation, uh, and if at a minimum, you know, probably a pretty significant decline in earnings. Now, fortunately, uh, that hasn't happened. And I think uh, the perspective on European equities has gone from Europe being perhaps the ugly duckling, now to the swan. If we now think about what was the reason for that turnaround, you know, the good news is energy prices ended up falling much more quickly uh, than people expected. We had a relatively mild winter. Uh, households, companies were able to cut back on consumption. I think we also need to recall that 2022 and so far really 2023 has very much still been the reopening of the European economy after lockdown, so a lot of pent-up demand that's still being expressed. And I think we see that, for example, in the services PMIs, which are still quite high uh, and rising. That's all the good news then. But of course, equity investors are always asking, well, what have you done for me lately and what can we look for ahead? Now, one worry perhaps we might have uh, are interest rates, because one of the perhaps less good consequences of the strong economic growth that we've had is higher inflation, and the ECB needs to react to that. And one could argue that the increase in interest rates that we've had both in the Eurozone and in the US was a trigger for the banking turmoil that we had last month, and of course, that was seen to some degree in Europe. So let's start with the banking sector, Steve. There's been a lot of concern about the banking sector over the last month. What's been the impact on European equities, and do you see it more as a risk or an opportunity?
1: Thanks, Daniel. So concerns about banks flow into concerns about the economy. So over the past month, there's been more fear about what happens to the rate of global growth. And so the world really needs healthy banks to lend money to facilitate economic growth and the earnings growth of companies. And there's always some risk in banks, but we're feeling relatively optimistic about the balance of risk and opportunity with our European banks. And you mentioned most of the the concern with investors was related to the U.S. banks and the potential for contagion across Europe. And when we look at European banks relative to U.S. banks, there are two differences that provide us with a bit more comfort. And the first is that U.S. banks took in a large amount of deposits at the wrong time, and that led to some very large losses in their bond investments. If you think back to the early days of the COVID lockdowns, in Europe, we primarily had furlough programs from the governments that provided some income for people if they could not go to work. But in the United States, the government decided to send money to everyone, Some people really needed the money, but many did not. And for a lot of consumers, that led them to make deposits into their banks. And the banks had a large amount of money that they needed to do something with. At that point, the U.S. banks did not have a lot of opportunities to lend money. So they took those deposits and they did the safe thing. They bought government bonds and they bought mortgage-backed securities. That's what a bank is supposed to do when, when they don't have opportunities to lend. But as we know, last year was a historically bad year to own bonds as interest rates run up very rapidly. And the U.S. banks owned a lot of extra bonds, much more than normal and much more than the European banks owned. And at this point, they have a lot of unrealized losses on those bonds. And so in the U.S., there's a bit less capital backing the lending than normal, and that might be a little bit constrictive for the U.S. relative to what we see in Europe. And the second difference is that European banks had more scars from the financial crisis, and that led the banks to build more capital over the last decade. If you think back to the crisis in Europe, we first had the financial crisis, and then we had government austerity programs, and then there was a debt crisis. So the financial crisis here really extended a lot longer than it did in the States. And after the crisis, European bank regulators went through a period of several years where they consistently asked the banks to hold more capital in reserve. Sort of year after year, they said, we'd really like to see you building a little bit more capital so your business is safer. And after building up capital for years, European banks are actually viewed by the regulators as having excess levels of capital. So they're doing share repurchases and issuing special dividends that are all approved by the European Central Bank. Banks actually have to go to the ECB with a capital return program. And the ECB says, yes, you have enough capital that you can return that money. So right now, the ECB thinks that European banks are in such good shape, they can give extra money back to investors. In addition to being sort of good for the health of European banks, this creates a sort of an interesting investment environment for banks. know, There's no guarantees in banking, but that gives us a pretty good feeling about European banks. And we think that over the next couple of years, they're likely to produce a lot of earnings growth.
0: Let's pivot away from the financial sector to some other parts of the market. Uh, when we think about the shifts towards sustainability, we often hear about emerging startup companies who've organized around a new opportunity. Are the big European companies participating in that as well, or are they going to be left behind?
1: Well, sustainability is a very important driver of growth for European companies. And I certainly agree, if you think about small companies, they're always very interesting to talk about because they can focus on doing one really exciting thing. And with larger companies, we get businesses that are transitioning a portion of their company toward an emerging area of growth. And the advantage you get with larger companies is that they have the capital and they have the patience to do big things well. Sustainability tends to be a very big thing, large investments over a long period of time. And for European companies, in many cases, this is leading to a significant acceleration in their rate of growth. As an example of doing the big things well, you know, the global leader in renewable fuel is a European company that used to just be an oil refiner. Now they take food waste, like used cooking oil and animal fat waste and they turned that into diesel fuel. Initially, the company had to invest a lot in research so they could learn how to convert those waste products to fuel. And then they invested in networks for the collection of waste. And then they invested billions of euros into very large processing facilities. So over time, they kept building that up and they kept on producing more and more of this renewable diesel fuel for vehicles. And gradually they have become a very large provider that is helping the world become a cleaner. And here it's an old high carbon business that generated a lot of growth as they transitioned towards sustainable fuel. And as we look ahead, it's actually even more exciting because they're working on sustainable aviation fuel as well. Air travel is particularly difficult to decarbonize and they've been working with a number of large airlines on fuel that is at least 50% renewable. So what we're likely to see over the next several years are a number of opportunities where the flights that we take will generate less carbon and this is a big European company that can get a lot of growth participating in the decarbonization of the world. Another example is with clean hydrogen where a large European company is taking a lead in providing clean hydrogen to some of the high carbon footprint companies to help those companies clean up their operations. They invest in facilities that produce green hydrogen which uses renewable energy as the power source for separating hydrogen from water molecules. And they invest in facilities that produce blue hydrogen, which captures the carbon from a traditional production process. And they actually said this morning that 40 percent of their new project backlog is related to energy transition. So at this point, they're poised to spend several billion euro over the next few years on decarbonization of hydrogen, which can then be used by oil refiners and chemical companies to reduce the carbon footprint of their manufacturing, make those businesses cleaner. And European semiconductors are also providing the critical technology for power conversion to make electric vehicles and renewable energy more efficient. When people think about technology companies, there's a tendency to think about the big companies in the United States. But in Europe, the focus on sustainability created an early mover advantage for one of the big semiconductor companies. Without getting too technical, in an electric vehicle, the power that comes from the battery needs to be converted to an alternating current which can allow people to stop and start and accelerate. And the large European company invested early to learn how to develop semiconductors that convert power more efficiently. Instead of using traditional silicon as the base of the semiconductor, they're using a new material called silicon carbide. And with these new semiconductors, an electric vehicle will use five to 10% less power to drive the same distance. So this technological advancement allows EVs to drive farther on the same level of charge. If you're a consumer, that's a great thing. But if I put it another way, It allows electric vehicles to consume less electricity, which from a carbon footprint standpoint is pretty exciting.
0: Steve, I mentioned at the beginning that equity investors are always looking to the future. I mentioned uh, some of the risks, perhaps, in terms of policy rates. If we think about opportunities, though, one of the bits of good news I think we've had this year has been the reopening of China after three years in pursuit of zero COVID. How does the end of zero COVID policies in China impact European equities?
1: Maybe just to start out, it's important to mention that China handled their COVID lockdowns very differently than we did in the West. You know, their policies were focused on having zero infections. And as a result, during the past year, there have been many periods where Chinese cities have been locked down. And this was a big drag on economic activity in China, but also in Europe as well. The government eventually decided that they wanted to adopt new policies. And from an economic standpoint, a lot of Chinese businesses are really just starting to reemerge. China is extremely important to European companies. In some sectors, China can represent 20% or even 30% of the sales for European companies. So as we envision an improvement in Chinese economic activity over the next year, it's likely to have a very material impact on the growth for European equities this year. And we've already seen that during the early stages of earnings reporting during the first quarter. Some companies have been producing better than expected results due to improving Chinese demand, and many others have been saying that their business started to show signs of improvement during March after the Chinese New Year started. And if we think about the impact to individual sectors, China is extremely important in the luxury sector, where a lot of European companies have a large presence in China, and it's important in the material sector, or maybe more broadly including commodities like oil. Uh, The technology sector is another area where Chinese demand is very significant, particularly for the European semiconductor companies. And we think this can be a boost to growth over the next year because the companies in Europe have been generally relatively conservative in the way they've been forecasting the opportunity. But they're starting to see more and more signs that business is really picking up.
0: If I can summarize some of the key points that you shared with us, Steve, Uh, you pointed out the role that banks play in providing credit to businesses, so certainly quite important. Nonetheless, uh, you felt optimistic about the opportunities in European banks, and you highlighted the differences between the European banking sector and the U.S., number one. Uh, highlighting that you didn't have the same problem with excess deposits uh, in Europe as you had in the U.S., and importantly, because of the scars that European banks had from previous years of turmoil, uh, they had higher capital buffers, which certainly stood them in good stead recently. If we think about sustainability, you highlighted how important it is as a driver of growth for European companies, both large and small, and highlighted a couple areas where you saw some real interesting opportunities, for example, clean hydrogen. And then finally, on China, again, very important for some European companies, particularly those in the luxury materials sector. Uh, But the opportunity uh, is in that really for a lot of Chinese businesses are just starting to reemerge from the lockdowns. And hence, we should see an even greater acceleration in activity uh, in the months and quarters ahead. Well, Steve, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Daniel. It's been great to be here.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Talking Heads. If you would like more information, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out Viewpoint, our website for investment insights at viewpoint.bnpparibas-am.com. I'd also like to mention that the Talking Heads podcast is available on YouTube. Visit youtube.com slash BNPPAM playlist and tap or click on Talking Heads. You've been listening to the BP Perry by Asset Management Talking Heads podcast with me, Daniel Morris, and Steve Sherman. Please do join me next week. Until then, take care.